0: you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. We're in chapter 3, verse 17, Philippians 3, uh, verse 17, we're going to go through chapter 4, verse 9 uh, this evening. So we would like to take the opportunity to welcome each other, so if you see someone that you know on the chats and the comments, uh, please say hi. Also introduce yourself and uh, let us know what's going on in your life if you need prayer or you have prayer, praise uh, reports for us. So pray with me and we're going to dive into God's word this evening. Father, we thank you that you have a peace that surpasses our understanding to guard our hearts and our minds. And this evening, we don't want to simply read about truth, but we desire to embrace truth. We desire to open up our hearts to these truths that we know will change our lives, that we would go from a place of anxiety and worry to a place of peace, a place where there's strained relationships and that there would be unity that would be found in you, Christ, in in you, Jesus. We ask that we would understand in a deeper way that we're citizens of heaven, that we're headed towards eternity with you, that the best is truly yet to come, that you would teach us how to take every thought captive, to guard our hearts and our minds, to meditate upon the things that are good and and trustworthy. Holy Spirit, would you minister to those tonight that need that special touch from you? Would you confirm your presence in their lives? Would you confirm your promises in their lives? So God, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. The last few days we've been planting our garden at home. It's that time of year. The weather is warming up. And as we've been putting these seeds into the soil, it reminds me of the parable of the sower, where Jesus says that the word of God is the seed, but our hearts have different conditions similar to soil. And sometimes there's the thorns that come and choke out the word of God Sometimes there's the cares of this life that come and choke out the word of God in our our lives. Sometimes our heart are hard like rock. So the seed gets planted, but it doesn't take root. But then there's the fertile soil. The fertile soil where it's ready for the seed to be planted and it brings forth much fruit. And is your heart and your life this evening open to the word of God? Are you that open soil that fertile soil where God can plant these truths in your heart. I can guarantee you if your heart is open to these truths that we're going to read tonight, it will change your life because we're going to read that we serve the God of peace. He's the God of peace. In Isaiah 9 verse 6, in a prophecy about Jesus, it says that he is the wonderful counselor Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. He alone can provide the peace that we're longing for, the peace that we're looking for. All of us desire peace. We desire to have calm and rest in our souls, but that can only be found in the Lord. Oftentimes we think peace will arrive with the change of circumstance, but that's not necessarily true. Peace comes as we draw near to God. Peace comes as we trust him. So we're going to be looking at these truths tonight and praying that God plants them deep in our hearts. So join me in verse 17 of Philippians 3. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Paul says to the church of Philippi, you can follow my example. He's introducing them to suffering for the cause of Christ Saying it's worthwhile to be able to suffer for Christ. Paul's in prison as he's writing this letter to the church of Philippi. He says, This is an example that you can follow. This is a pattern that you can follow. Paul's not perfect, but he's an example of a man who surrendered his life to Christ, who was willing to follow Christ at all costs. We need to step back and evaluate who am I following? What example am I following? Are there godly men and women in my life that I know that they're not perfect, but I'm able to follow their example? Also, am I able to spot someone who is a false teacher? Can I look at the fruit from their lives and be able to tell, hey, that's someone that I should not be following? False teachers are deceptive people that want to bring destruction in your life, that they're deceptive, so you've gotta be careful. So Paul then gives us the contrast he says for many walk of whom I've told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are enemies of the cross of Christ so many walk in this path there's many that find themselves in this place of being adversarial to the cross of Jesus Christ they're actually enemies to the cross They don't want anything to to do with Jesus and also want to try to get Christ completely out of society. There were those that took that stance in Paul's day and there continues to be those that take that stance today. And Paul says that his heart is one of weeping. His heart goes out to those that are the enemy of the cross. Paul, at one point in his life, when he was Saul, was an enemy to the cross. So he understands where they're coming from. He also, though, however, warns often about these individuals. He thought it important to to those that he served in Christ that they would know that there are people that are opposing the cross. So this is how you identify them. Whose end is destruction whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So the trajectory of their life is one of destruction. It's not a fruit and edification. Also, they're serving their own belly. Their God is their own belly. What does Paul mean? They're serving their survival. They're only concerned about their own existence and making sure that they get their meals, making sure they get their comfort, making sure that they have a life of security. That's what dominates them, not Christ, but survival. Also, their glory is their shame. They're ones that like talking about themselves, like highlighting themselves, like the limelight to be on them. And their glory is actually their shame. And then their mind is on earthly things, not on heavenly things, Not on things that are going to last for all of eternity, but their focus is on the here and the now. So those are markers, those are signs, those are identifiers of people that you should not follow. That's a pattern that you don't want to follow. We get to verse 20, For our citizenship is in heaven, for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is point number one. If you're taking notes, and I hope you are, write this down Peace from heaven. Peace from heaven. As we have the God of peace, the Prince of peace, who wants to fill our lives with peace, it comes from heaven. We're citizens of heaven, and we eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Citizenship was a huge deal to those in Philippi. How do we know? Because Philippi is a Roman colony. To be a citizen of Rome gave you great privilege. But if you weren't a citizen of Rome, then you were second rate at best. You were persecuted. No Roman citizenship. You're a whole different class. But men, if you had Roman citizenship, then you have arrived. So this is something that they would understand, the importance of being a Roman citizen. Paul says, our citizenship is not of Rome, but our citizenship is of heaven. And we long for and we wait for the coming of Jesus Christ. And what is he gonna do when he comes? He's gonna transform our lowly bodies that it might be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. This is a lowly body. This is a tent. It's decaying. It's perishing. It's subject to disease and weakness. And it's painful. It's painful to see those that we love suffer physically. It's painful when you hear the diagnosis of Parkinson's and and cancer. But we have great hope knowing that this is just a temporary body. This is just a temporary dwelling place. And God is gonna transform and give us a glorified body. At Christ's second coming, 1 Corinthians 15, we see the graves are gonna be opened. The dead in Christ are gonna rise first, receiving their glorified bodies. The question's then asked, are people in heaven? In heaven without a glorified body? Technically so, but time is different in heaven. It's much more like an eternal now. Peter gives the illustration that a thousand years to us is just a day unto the Lord. So if they're waiting, they're not waiting very long. It's the assurance of everlasting life that brings us peace. A verse that many know well, you may not be familiar, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. As a believer, you can know that you know that you know that you're gonna forever be with the Lord, that you have everlasting life. Jesus told us in this life, you will have tribulation. There's no way around it. This life is gonna be difficult. It's gonna be challenging, but be of good cheer I have overcome the world. What was the reason for joy? What was the reason for peace? Was because I've overcome the world. Because of eternal life. Your citizenship is in heaven. That's your true citizenship. That's the citizenship that trumps every national citizenship. That's the citizenship that lasts forever. Our citizenship on he- here on earth is simply temporary. Jesus looks at the disciples just moments before he's going to be crucified. Disciples are confused. They don't understand the resurrection. And Jesus says, don't let your heart be troubled because I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. The source of a peaceful heart, the source of a non-troubled heart comes From I'm preparing a place for you, you'd have to admit that God's creation here on earth is amazing and it's beautiful and wonderful. But it's just a small, 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 small foretaste of what heaven is going to be like. He's preparing this place for us and we're going to forever be with the Lord. So if you find yourself in a place of discouragement, if you find yourself in a place of being overwhelmed, if not, surely it will come in points in the future, is we need to anchor ourselves deep in being citizens of heaven. Saying this is my source of comfort. This is what I hope for, this is what I long for, this is what I look to, that I'm gonna forever be with the Lord. No more pain, no more suffering, no more sin, no more disease ruling and reigning with Christ, beholding him in worship forever with the Lord. So we have peace from heaven. That's where God gives us that source of peace is eternal life. Let's get into chapter four. Therefore, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord beloved. Paul is letting the believers know how much they mean to him. He mentions twice that they're beloved. They're longed for brethren. They're longed for family. You're my joy. You're my crown. When Paul gets to heaven, he's going to be looking for all of these believers that he's invested in. And he says, oh, you're my joy. You're my crown. You're you're my prize in heaven. Man, he cares for the body of believers. I want you to know as a pastoral team and a pastoral staff we 're praying for you guys we we long for you, we long to be in fellowship with you. We know that this is difficult, and many are asking the question, "When can we meet again and, and we don 't know we 're weekly praying about that and seeing how God will lead and what doors that god will will open but I don't know about you, but my appreciation for the body has deepened during this time. Don't get discouraged. Paul's separated from the body during this time because he's in prison. He could have been wallowing and thinking about himself, but instead he's praying for and investing in the Church of Philippi and communicating his love. I hope that we're all growing in appreciation for the body of Christ in this time. Verse 2. I implore Eodia and I implore Sintiki to be of the same mind in the Lord. These are quite the names, aren't they? You know, I've done a lot of baby dedications over the years of pastoring, and I've never dedicated an Eodia or a Syntiki. We know from the Greek that these are female names, and apparently they're women in the church who are fighting. And there's division that has come between the two of them. I believe that Paul had these two women in mind at the very beginning of his letter. That he knows that he's going to get to the place in the letter where he's going to call these two women to walk in unity and to be of the same mind. But before he does that, he lays this amazing foundation that for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Life is Jesus. I'm devoted to Jesus. Then in chapter two, to be others-centered, to esteem others better than ourselves, to put their needs before our own because Christ is the ultimate servant. Christ came and gave his life as a ransom for many. Jesus washed feet. Then when we get into chapter three, how are we to view ourselves? Everything that was gained to us we count as loss so we can gain the knowledge of Christ, putting ourselves in perspective that really our lives is all about knowing Christ in a better way, pressing into his purposes for our lives, to the point now when we get to chapter 4 verse 2, Paul says, hey, you're citizens of heaven. Ladies, you're going to spend all of eternity together. So be of the same mind. And this is point number two. It's peace from unity. Peace from unity. You'll agree and acknowledge that broken relationships rob peace. It's one of the greatest ways that peace goes absent from our lives. I, I hate it when I'm at odds with another believer I hate it when there isn't peace in a relationship. It, it gets to me. I desire to be in unity and be on the this, this same page. It affects my soul. It affects, affects my peace. And these two ladies must have been at a place where peace had been robbed from their life. And Paul says, it's time for you to be of the same mind. It's time for you to choose unity because of who Christ is in your life. What's amazing here is Paul doesn't get into the issue. He doesn't say, well, these are the ways that Eodia is right. And these are the ways that Syntyche is right. And let's try to sort this out. He simply says there's a bigger picture and that is heaven and living for the glory of God. And God wants you to be in the place of unity. Maybe... This evening, you find yourself struggling in relationship. And you're wrestling right now, and you're saying, I don't want to choose unity. I don't want to be with the same mind because this person has hurt me and they have have wronged me. We need to examine our hearts for bitterness because bitterness will get a hold of us to where we don't want to forgive and we're unwilling to forgive and we keep up that wall of division. And remember, Jesus has forgiven us. He's freely forgiven us, so we choose to forgive one another. It doesn't mean that issues aren't talked through. It doesn't mean that we don't confront each other in love, but we keep the big picture in mind, and we say, I'm choosing to walk in unity because we're the body of Christ, and God doesn't want us to be divided. Satan loves to divide it's his main method. He's going to try to divide marriages and divide families. He's going to try to divide churches. And he also is an opportunist. So when things are difficult and stressful, he goes, oh, this is an opportunity to divide. May we be committed to the unity of believers in our own church, but also in the body of Christ as a whole. Believers are are handling this COVID thing differently. And some believers have this conviction over here and other believers have this conviction over here. And if we're not careful, before we know it, we're judging one another instead of loving one another and walking in unity together. And God's blessing flows through unity. God's blessing flows when we choose to walk in forgiveness. Jesus prayed for the unity of believers in John 17. Psalms 133 tells us how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It's like oil coming off of Aaron's beard. That oil was the anointing, symbolized the anointing of God upon Aaron's life. And God's anointing is poured out upon unity. And I'm thankful for the unity that we enjoy at RMC, but I'm also mindful that it's something that we have to fight for, something we have to be in prayer about. And as we process the scripture tonight, with that heart to be that fertile soil, is there a relationship that needs to be made right? Is there a humbling that needs to take place in pursuit of that right relationship? I've often wondered how did these two ladies respond? Here they are hearing this letter being read. And their names are read. And they're called to be of the same mind. And did they choose to walk in reconciliation? Or did they continue in division and brokenness? Verse 3, I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Paul has some companions that have labored with him for the cause of Christ. And he says, would you care for them? Would you help these women who have labored for me and with me in God's work? And he emphasizes that their names are written in the book of life. That reservation that takes place when we trust Christ as our Savior to where we have everlasting life. To all those who know the Lord, your name is written in the book of life. And then rejoicing flows out of this knowledge of salvation. In verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Point number three, peace and rejoicing. Peace and rejoicing. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul is living this as a prisoner He could choose to grumble. He could choose to complain. He could desire that things were different, look back in the past. But instead he says, I'm gonna rejoice in the Lord. I'm choosing to take joy in the Lord. The theme of this book of Philippians is joy. It's all over the whole entire book. You'd never think that Paul was in prison as he was expressing this. I don't know if you've ever noticed, but sometimes people's lives that are really difficult have an abundance of joy, and the two don't seem to go together. But what's happened is they have pressed deep into the Lord despite their circumstances, and this deep-rooted joy has come to the surface like what we find in the Apostle Paul. We choose, this is a choice that we make throughout any given day if we're gonna choose to take joy in the Lord or if we're gonna choose to grumble and we're gonna choose to complain. The word rejoice is to take joy again. We're taking joy again in the Lord in who he is, that he's our father, that he's faithful, he's gracious and compassionate and just and strong and powerful, who he is. We take joy in what he's granted to us, salvation. Salvation is the well of joy inside of our souls. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And it's easy for us to put our joy in our circumstances. And when our circumstances are bad, then there goes our joy. To put our joy in the things of this life. Solomon was an example of a person that tried to find joy apart from his relationship with God and in all of the pleasures of this life everything was availed to him. All of the money, all of the women, all of the position, the power. He he had it all from the world standard, but he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, and he says, it's empty. It's vanity. I'm not fulfilled in my heart and in my life. Contrast that with Paul, who didn't have anything from a worldly perspective. He didn't have the money, he didn't have the power, he didn't have the position and the possessions, but his soul was satisfied because he was rejoicing in the Lord. So no matter what our circumstance, no matter how difficult things are, as COVID continues to go on, it challenges us in different ways. It's easy to grumble and complain. It's easy to be frustrated and to to be upset. We can get our eyes off of the circumstance. We can get our eyes on the Lord and we can choose to find joy. To where unbelievers would go, what's going on with the believers? They've got joy in the Lord. They've got something that this world cannot provide and cannot offer. I want to read to you from the book of Habakkuk. We see the prophet coming to understand that he's going to lose Lots of things in his life due to God judging Israel. He comes to a point of faith. He comes to a point of decision and he says, Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. Though the labor of the olive may fail, and the fields yield no fruit. Though the flock may be cut off from the Lord, and there may be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he'll make me walk on high hills. Habakkuk's circumstance, it's not good. All of the things that he listed is great loss, but he says, I still have the Lord. I still have the Lord, and because I have the Lord, I can choose to take joy in the Lord. I'm rejoicing in him. I'm rejoicing in my salvation. As he does that, then God strengthens him. And his feet become like deer's feet. Have you ever watched deer jump and just bound through the woods? they have got such strong legs. And God's going to make Habakkuk's legs strong to be able to endure this trial. I'd encourage you right now, just in the middle of this service, just... Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in him. Stop grumbling. Stop complaining. Be thankful that you're going to heaven. Be thankful that you're God's child, that the comfort of the spirit is in your life. Thank him for the many blessings, the provision, family and friendship and roof over your head and just allow rejoicing to abound in your soul. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice Verse 5, I think, is very applicable to here and now. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. We can go through this life in gentleness. We don't have to go through this life in fear, in worry, being tormented. We can have a gentle spirit about us to where all would know that we're gentle at heart. Why? Because the Lord's at hand. The Lord's at hand. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is gonna make all things right. He's gonna rapture the church. He's at hand. Jesus taught us, the disciples instructed us that we need to be looking for the second coming of Christ. We don't know when it's gonna happen, but we need to be looking. We need to be waiting. We need to be longing for Christ to return. And the idea of the text here is I don't have to worry. I don't have to be angry or stressed out. I can be in a place of gentleness because I know that Jesus is coming soon and he is going to solve all of these problems. It's kind of this idea, times when you're growing up as a kid, you're like, man, mom's gonna be home. Dad's gonna be home. And I know when they get home, they're gonna fix it. They're gonna make things right. They're gonna be able to solve this problem or difficulty. How much more so with Jesus? Let your gentleness be made known to all men, the Lord's at hand. Is that the message that we're giving as a church? Is that the message that we're declaring as believers? That we're not stressed, we're not fearful in these times with COVID, but we're, the Lord has it and the Lord's gonna return and he's going to take care of all things so I can be in a place of peace. We get into a very rich verse here. If I've lost you, this is time to tune back in Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Next point is there's peace through prayer. Not only is there peace in rejoicing, but there's peace in prayer first thing that God tells us to do is stop worrying. Stop worrying. Jesus in Matthew 6, he instructed us that he cares for the lilies of the field, the birds of the air. Birds are not very nice creatures. They're not very nice to one another and other animals, but yet God cares for the birds of the air. He says, why do you worry Your worrying doesn't accomplish anything. Can you add an inch to your stature by worrying? Focus on today. Today has sufficient problems of its own. It's easy for us to get out in front of ourselves. What about a month from now? What about 10 years from now? God says, just do it one day at a time. I'm a daily God. Don't worry. And seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. It's a choice that we make. It's a choice of faith and obedience to say, I'm going to stop worrying. What are you worrying about? What am I worrying about tonight? Stop worrying. The next is begin praying. Where I would be all spun up and worry over here, now take that to the Lord in conversation. Cast our cares upon him because he cares for us. Give it over to our heavenly, wonderful Father. Prayer and supplication, the idea is knock on his door. Knock, 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 knock on the door. Financial needs, bring it before the Lord. Physical challenges, bring it before the Lord. Relational difficulties, bring it before the Lord. Worry and concern, bring it before the Lord. In the core of our hearts, do we believe that God cares? That he cares. Sometimes we know God's powerful, but we almost feel like, man, he's too busy to be concerned with what's going on in my life. This is too trivial. Why would God care over car repairs? Or why would God care that the dog's lost? Or why would the fill in the blank? And God cares. We have this open invitation where we get to bring to him our worries and concerns in prayer and supplication. But don't forget Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. God wants the prayers to be wrapped in Thanksgiving. To be thankful for who he is and what he's done in our lives. So worry about nothing, pray about anything and be thankful for anything. So that's the choice that we get to make. And notice what happens when we do that. If we'll do that, to stop worrying, start praying with Thanksgiving, here's the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God. God's peace. That He's got it. That He's in control. That He's faithful and He's going to see us through. But note, please underline this. Place close attention to this. It's not a peace that comes from understanding many times in my life, I want to know why. God, why have you allowed this difficulty? When is it going to end? What's the purpose behind it? And God doesn't give us a peace that comes from our understanding. If he did, we probably wouldn't like his reasoning, and we would tend to argue with him. He knows us. So instead, He promises a peace that's going to surpass our understanding. If you're seeking after a peace that you can understand, you're never going to receive it. But if you're willing to come to a place of trust, then the Lord can give you a peace that surpasses your understanding. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. And that's difficult to not lean upon our own understanding, but to trust that God understands and God knows best. He's proven his love towards us by giving his son for us upon the cross. So stop trying to achieve a peace that comes from intellectual understanding, but trust and receive that peace that surpasses our understanding. I think of it this way, when my kids were little, if they fell and scraped their knee, maybe it was a a good one and one that really hurt. It didn't help for me to pick up the kids and give them an intellectual understanding of what was going to take place in the next few moments. Okay, give it about five minutes and some of the pain is going to go away. But after that, mom and dad are going to have to clean it so you don't get an infection. Wipe it out with some soap and water and then put some alcohol on it. And that's going to really hurt. But after the sting goes away, then there's going to be a Band-Aid. But it's still going to be tender for four or five days. And then, you know, there'll be a scab that'll rip off a couple of times, some more bleeding. But two or three weeks, you'll be good as new. they would be looking at me at deer in headlights, going, thanks a lot, Dad. But what do you do with a small child? You pick them up and you hold them close. And you say, oh, it's going to be okay it's going to be okay i love you and you comfort them with a peace that surpasses understanding and that's what god desires to give to us and then it guards it protects our hearts it protects our mind from anxiety and worry to be in a place of saying oh lord i'm living in your peace and this is a journey this is a journey and a process i wish that i could just flip a switch and i was always living in the peace of god But the reality of it is, is there's moments where anxiety gets the best of me. Fear gets the the best of me. Worry gets, gets the best of me. So in those moments, we need to stop and go, okay, wait a second. What's going on? I'm running down this train track of worry. I need to stop worrying, start praying, and being thankful, and rely upon the peace of God to guard my heart and my mind. Please memorize Philippians 4 verse six and seven, these truths will be a great promise to you, then anchor your soul in the peace of God. In verse eight, finally, this is the second in conclusion that Paul has given to us. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue in If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. This is our last point tonight, and it's peace of mind. It's peace of mind. The God of peace gives us a peace of mind. I think it's really important to study verse 8 in connection with verse 6 and 7. So we stop worrying. We start praying with thanksgiving. God gives us a peace that surpasses our understanding. Then, what are we to do? Verse 8, we're to guard our thoughts. What do we meditate on? Meditation is what we think about over and over and over and over again. What rut are we in in our thoughts? And are our thoughts true and pure and praiseworthy? Is there anything praiseworthy in our thoughts? And if the answer is no, then we need to take those thoughts captive to the obedience of Christ and start meditating upon the things that are true and noble and lovely and of good report and virtue and are praiseworthy. By the way, every attribute in verse 8 describes Jesus. So if we're meditating upon Christ, we're meditating upon these attributes. We want that to be the rut of our thoughts, the pattern of, of our thoughts. Isaiah tells us That we're kept in perfect peace as our mind is fixed on him. So as our mind is fixed upon the Lord, then he keeps us in perfect peace. And this is a battle. The battle is won and lost in the thoughts. This involves memorizing scripture and praying through scripture and preaching to ourselves the goodness of God revealed through the word of God. And saying, I am going to put my heart and my mind on the things that are praiseworthy. This is where I think we need to guard ourselves against the news from time to time. You have probably noticed that news is fear-based and worry-based. They're not just reporting the news. It's a business and trying to get us to go click and click and click and click and click and absorb all of this news. And there's a place for news, don't get me wrong but if you're not careful, you're going to find yourself, especially in a time like this, just constantly feeding off of the news. And it's not going to leave you in a place where you're meditating on what is, what is praiseworthy. So there's a moment to read the news, but then I've got to put my mind upon Christ. We can really get overwhelmed in this challenge with COVID, but also other challenges uh, in our lives. Meditate upon these things. The battle's won and lost in the thoughts. In verse nine, the things which you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace, the God of peace will be with you. Paul says, you've learned this from me. I've taught this to you. You've received it from me. You've heard it and you've seen it. Now it's your turn to do it. They've watched the Apostle Paul have peace in the midst of a difficult circumstance being in prison. Now it's their turn. Church, it's our turn. These are truths for us to own, to believe, and to be able to live in. We're left with, and the God of peace be with you. The amazing thing about God's peace is it's found in a person. It's found in Jesus being with us. Brother and sister in Christ, church family, Jesus is with you. He's with you in that prison. He's with you in that difficulty. He's with us in those things that we don't understand and we don't want to accept. So these are truths for us to hold on to, but even more so, it's a savior to be able to enjoy. It's his presence to be able to get along with God, enter into his presence, choose to rejoice, choose to trust, choose to wait, and as you wait, then allowing the Lord to give you his peace. We'd like to hear from you tonight. We've got a ministry team that's available. I'd like to hear how God's peace is impacting your life. If you have a testimony of how the Lord has allowed you to tap into his peace, would you share it? Go to the comments, go to the chat. Maybe you've lost a loved one recently, you've lost your job, you've got health challenges. There's a difficulty in your life and God has allowed you to experience his peace. I know the body will be edified by your testimony. And also if you need prayer, if you need prayer, Take advantage of right now that there's people that have given their time this evening to be ready to pray with you. So go to the comments, go to the chats, let them know what's going on in your life and say, I'm ready to receive God's peace. There's also one other kind of God's peace. This is the peace of God that has to do with the situations in our lives But there's even more important peace and it's peace with God. It's that peace of knowing, man, if I died tonight, I'd know I'd go home to be with the Lord. I have peace with God because I'm a sinner who's saved by grace. I've trusted in the death and the resurrection of Christ. And some of you don't have that. You don't have that assurance of the good news and of trusting that Jesus died and rose again. And I'd ask for you tonight to turn from your sin and to turn to Christ and believe that he died for you and rose again and say, Jesus, save me. If you'd like to trust Christ for salvation, I'd invite you right now to get on your knees right where you're at and cry out to Jesus, Jesus, save me, be the Lord of my life. And please let us know. Let us know through those comments in the chat that you've received Christ your Savior so that we can minister to you, get some materials in your hands to follow up with you. But Jesus is real. He's your savior if you'll choose to trust him. Before we go tonight is God desires to take us from a place of anxiety and worry and doubt and fear to a place of peace. And what will provide that peace is focusing on heaven, focusing on walking in unity in relationships, focus on rejoicing, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice pray about everything, worry about nothing, be thankful for anything, receive his peace, and then guard the mind. Choose to meditate on those things that are praiseworthy. So as we close, let's pray for one another. Pray for one another that we could enjoy and walk in God's peace. Father, we don't want to be in a place of worry. We don't want to be in a place of anxiety and being overwhelmed, but many times we are. So we take to heart your promises, and we take to heart that heaven is real, that we are rushing towards heaven. We're going to forever be with you. We choose right now to rejoice in you, that you've saved us, that you're our father, you never leave us or forsake us. We thank you for your blessings in our lives. God, would you show us where we need to reach out and heal relationships because we know peace comes from restored relationships. I pray for broken relationships and families and marriages and with other believers. God, would you reconcile? Would you reconcile? Would you give over to the Lord that thing that you're wrestling with, that thing that you're worried about, give it over to him. Name it by name. Let's surrender it to him. Just open up your hands to the Lord. Surrender it to him. Father, we pray over these things that we're holding on to, the worry of finances, worry of health, Worry of family. Worry of our country. Worry of the body of Christ. Would you take these burdens? We come to you. We thank you that you're able to handle them. You've provided salvation. You can handle these burdens. We choose to stop worrying. Would you be gracious through the power of your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus The character and nature of Christ, would you fill us with peace that surpasses understanding? We acknowledge we don't have to figure it all out. We don't have to know the why or have the answer. We receive that peace. We trust you. And would you place upon us the helmet of salvation? May we meditate upon the things that are true and the things that are praiseworthy. May you use your word in our lives to be transformational. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.